Shireen Luz is the head of culture and field experience with RBC Wealth Management, an employment attorney by trade. She joined RBC's law group 15 years ago, shifting into human resources a couple of years after that. And when, a decade later, Shireen was approached by an executive about heading up the human relations portfolio, she had a surprising response. I actually responded, no way. Um, I wish I had used my inside voice, but I just thought, no way, Um, not for me. I don't have the background. I was so intimidated and just thought I I wasn't prepared for that big of a role. After some encouragement from others, Shireen did indeed apply and get the job as head of human relations. And most recently, she's taken on a new role, RBC Wealth Management's head of culture and field experience. Shireen says developing and maintaining a healthy culture at work is vital, particularly during COVID time. During the pandemic, our culture, it dictated absolutely everything we did. I mean, the well-being and safety of our colleagues was at the forefront of every decision. On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, Shireen talks about her new role and how being real has helped her out. I have found that being my messy, vulnerable, inhuman self has actually made me better at what I do. And it's helped me connect with people, and it's really helped catapult me forward in my career. And when asked what advice she would give to her younger self, Shireen shared some authentic words. Every day, my manager would make inappropriate comments and even touch me. I didn't say anything. And instead of reporting it, I left the organization. And if I could go back and talk to my younger self, I I would tell myself, you better report this. Even if it's not going to make your situation better, it's going to make that company better and it's going to make it better for other women that might be in that situation. Shireen Luz on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. I'm pretty excited today because I am really fortunate to have the opportunity to speak with Shireen Luz, who is the head of culture and field experience at RBC Wealth Management. Shireen, I want to thank you so much for taking time to come on my show today. Bonnie, thank you so much. I am, if you can't tell by the excitement in my voice, I am so thrilled to be here. Um, I love podcasts and I love yours in particular in just the name in and of itself had me hooked before I'd even heard it. Oh, I love it. And even just chatting with you before we hit record, I'm like, this is going to be an awesome conversation. Um, <laughs> so I'm super excited. And and one of the reasons is because I love uh, I love your title. And, and it's just such a, a important and absolutely fundamental part of an organization is their culture and the experience that the employees have. So I can't wait to dig into that. But before we do, I would love to just start. Can you tell us about your background and kind of what led you to where you are today? Uh, Sure. It is um, not the straight path. It's not like I, you know, was a young child and I was like, oh my gosh, when I grow up, I want to be the head of culture and, you know, field experience. Um, I actually uh, grew up and was trained as an employment attorney and I learned a ton about the law, but I was really frustrated by 
addressing an, an employee's experience, just one experience at a time, and always after the employment relationship had broken down. So what I wanted to do was, you know, move into a company where I felt like I could have a broader impact, influence policies, uh, influence more employees rather than just addressing it after things had gone sideways after the fact. So 15 years ago, I was fortunate to join RBC in the law group. And after a couple of years, I moved into human resources and I spent the last 13 years there. And this will be my first move with this new role out of uh, a function, so legal or human resources and actually into the business. And when I stop and look at you know my background, it, it seems rather disjointed, but there really is a common theme. And what it is, is each time I've changed roles, I was mover, like really moving closer to employees and partnering with leaders who are making decisions that have the biggest impact on the employee experience. That is so interesting and, and such a kind of a cool career path for you to have started out in kind of the, the law field, but still around mm-hmm. employment and, and now to move into this. Um, so you ha- have you had, so in your 13 years at RBC, you've had a, f- a few different roles? I sure have. So I started in the law group and I got to support all of our U.S. RBC businesses providing advice and counsel. And then I actually was asked to take on a role of building out employee relations for the United States businesses. And when I was approached, I was uh, really taken aback because I was in what I thought was my dream job. And I also didn't understand what on earth employee relations was and why I would want to do it. Um, and so my first reaction was kind of, oh, I don't know how to get out of this. Um, but I decided, well, okay, so it's a promotion. It seems like it'd be career suicide to not move this direction. It's building out this function in this team. And so I decided to do it, but it was more like, a, mm, I'm going to do this, but kind of just because they're telling me this is the right move. And I ended up loving it. So I got to work with an employee relations team and building out our workplace policies. And I, I affectionately refer to the work that I did a lot of times is dealing with the underbelly of the company. Um, it's, it's that stuff in HR that people don't want to talk about or deal with. So if someone, um, you know, is behaving badly, like I was the one that would step in and deal with it. Or if there was a complaint, I was the one that would investigate it. But as hard as it was, I learned so much about really sitting with employees. And it could be an executive or it could be a newer manager or an impacted employee in the most difficult times of their career, whether that's exiting an employee or during an investigation. And I really loved the human side of it and focusing on respecting, no matter what was going on, ensuring that the employee felt respected and heard and influencing their experience at work, even if it was doing a restructure that involved exiting employees or doing an investigation where employees weren't getting along. 
Um, so I did that for over 10 years until once again, I was approached about taking the role as head of HR. And when I was approached about it, um, one of our executives in the wealth management business approached me and asked me if I'd be interested. And I actually responded, no way. Huh. Um, I wish I had used my inside voice, but I just thought, no way. Um, not for me. I don't have the background. I was so intimidated and just thought I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that big of a role. And he approached me again as the two other people. And I finally decided, look, these individuals have more faith in me than I do. I'm going to give it a shot because I really did have an interest in the role. Um, so I took a huge leap of faith and ended up getting the role. And I absolutely loved it. Um, and really getting to impact more broadly how our employees are treated at work, um, the benefits we offer them. So it really has been what I've hoped to do all along. Um, and once again, they came to me and said, hey, we, we're working on this new job and we think you'd be great in it. So um, thankfully, there are people who have a better idea of my potential and a potential career path for me than I did, um, or I would probably still be in the law group. <laughs> oh, I, and, you know, I think that's uh, that's so interesting and something uh, that a lot of women kind of deal with is that, um, you know, that the doubt is often coming from within the, and, and other people mm -hmm. don't see it at all and actually... Um, is, is an area that most women can probably work on about themselves, you know, whether it's imposter syndrome or, or just uh, going for or saying yes to opportunity. Cause look what has saying yes to opportunity has done for your career. Absolutely. And I could not agree more in, you know, things like the imposter syndrome. I I've always been convinced that once I learned what it was, I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's a picture in the dictionary of me next to that, that <laughs> phrase. Um, but it's so true. And I feel like, especially in my, my experience in HR, that I can look at other employees, I can look at other women and say, you would be phenomenal in this. And I can advocate for them and I can push them. I just don't do it for myself. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I take a lot of pride and passion in advocating for others. Um, but you know, we, we need to do it for ourselves. It's something I'm going to continue to be working on. And I will, I guarantee I'll never get there, but I'm sure going to try. Awesome. That's fantastic. And you know what, I would love to talk a little bit about, um, about the role. So head of culture and field experience, why did, uh, RBC wealth management decide there was a need for this role? And you kind of talked about how you saw yourself fitting into it, but more like, what do you see for this role becoming and, and, and why, you know, why did RBC take, decide to do this? Mm -hmm. Well, when I think about RBC wealth management, you know, we're a broker dealer and there's lots of broker dealers out there, but what I know deep down makes us special is our culture. And during the pandemic, our culture, it dictated absolutely everything we did. I mean, the well-being and safety of our colleagues was at the forefront of every decision. We had meetings multiple times a day, and it was, how are the employees doing? How can we support our employees? What benefits? What things can we do? 
And as we transition back to the office, we have to continue to focus on that. The human-centered companies, I firmly believe, are the ones that are going to come out of this pandemic stronger. And we've always focused on it, but I think we've really doubled down. And we've also experienced over the last five years exponential growth. And oftentimes with, with growth and growth of this speed, there's a risk of what losing what really made us special. And so RBC decided they're going to double down on our culture. And they created this role where it's really focused on enhancing and protecting our culture. And one of the things I think about, I mentioned earlier, you know, we have nearly 200 branches where we're all across the United States. And I want an employee who's in Texas or Florida or New York or Minneapolis to have that same experience of an inclusive, strong culture, regardless of where they are. And this position, I get to focus on it. And that's what I am most excited about, I'd say, is really just getting to spend the time to say, how are our employees doing? What is their experience like? And looking at everything we do on the business side through that lens, what's the impact on the employees? Um, and I say that that's really what the intent of the role is going to be. And hopefully I will be successful in that we'll continue to grow our culture. What, as we continue to grow the firm. Yeah, what an amazing, amazing job opportunity. Uh, mm -hmm. and, it's, and I'm sure that uh, this, I'm guessing this has probably crossed you and your colleagues' minds around attracting and retaining top talent. Um, you know, we're seeing it across Canada. I'm guessing you're probably seeing it across the states as there is a real um, challenge in, in attracting and retaining top talent because unless you're kind of looking at that culture piece because people are expecting more from their employers in terms of creating inclusive work environments, being a good corporate citizen. Um, how do you, how do you try to address that? And are you actually, I should just ask, are, are you seeing that same kind of thing in the States that we're seeing here in Canada where a lot of people are switching jobs after the pandemic? You know, you can't, sometimes you can't change your living arrangements and you can't change uh, other things, but you can change your jobs. And up here, we're experiencing a lot of people moving positions and moving companies. Um, I'd just love your thoughts on that. We are just like Canada. We're seeing significant transitions um, across all industries. And it was anticipated because there was kind of this freeze during the pandemic, but I'm even surprised by the volumes of it. And again, it's not, you know, our company more than others. It's across all the industries, just like, you know, you're seeing in Canada. And we're, we're really in that proverbial war for talent. And we have to find ways to differentiate ourselves because it, it is so easy for an employee right now to just walk across the street and make more money or do something different. And so we have to be genuinely, authentically present with our culture and with who we are. And one of the ways that we're trying to pull all of this together is we've, as I mentioned, we've always had a focus on culture and I, that's not new for us, but 
what we're trying to do is to take a holistic approach to what that looks like. And I am a firm believer that you don't get culture. You don't get diversity unless you start with inclusion. If you don't have an inclusive workplace, then you may hire somebody in, you may hire diverse perspectives in, but they're going to leave. Um, so you have to start with inclusion. And to me, that starts with the relationships with the leaders within the organization. Are they walking the walk? Are they uh, walking the talk? And I think that the creation of my role, my new role, is is a perfect example of it. They're really putting not just their mouths behind, oh, it culture is important, but they're putting money behind it. They're, you know, creating the C-suite role. And so what we're working to do is to really integrate our approach to our workplace. So it's starting with our colleagues. It's establishing relationships across the organization. It's when we're looking to bring on uh, new employees, we have an inclusive recruiting mandate where you have to be recruiting from diverse sources so that we have diverse perspectives in everything we're doing because that makes everyone better. Um, you know, it's been made very clear what the business case is for diverse perspectives and diverse backgrounds in the success of companies. We're really having some, I would call them uncomfortable conversations, especially after the murder of George Floyd. We didn't shy away from sitting down and asking the hard questions. You know, we have rolled out a series over the last year of what we call real chats. And we sit down with executives and employees and we have candid conversations. And, you know, some of the feedback we've gotten, it's really hard to hear. But if we don't have that feedback, we can't get better. So we're listening to the employees. We are making sure that when we look at our employees and how we support them, we're supporting all facets of themselves because they're not one-dimensional. They're you know, employees. I'm not just an employee. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. And how do we support all of those aspects of employees? And it, I love that a silver lining of the pandemic for me was getting to be in a lot of employees' homes through the video calls <laughs> and getting to see and meet their pets or their spouses or their partners or their children. And you know, that's something that I think we've really shied away from before. You know, you just, you were at work and you showed your work self. And I think embracing and creating and enhancing so that we have a culture where you truly bring your true, authentic, whole self to work. That's, that's one start for the inclusiveness. But we also are committed to our communities. Um, we're supporting black and women owned businesses through lending and grants and um, programs through uh, supplier diversity initiatives. And we're reaching out to youth because, you know, in order to build up a pipeline for diverse candidates and employees, we got to start young. Um, you know, the data shows that 
women in particular, young girls stop their efforts in STEM, you know, in middle school. So how do we get to them to say, hey, this this doesn't have to be your track. Look at these different opportunities. So we're working within our communities with Rock the Street, Wall Street, um, and also doing our own um, education within the schools, uh, teaching financial literacy to youth, um, giving them the tools to succeed. And we're also focusing on our clients and our clients are telling us we want ESG expertise to work with. We want our, the companies that we partner with to be working with diverse populations. We want them to be supporting their communities. And then the other element of our holistic approach is our industry. Like we can't do it alone. Um, we really need to come together as a financial services industry to change the tide of continuing to look exactly like we look. Um, and in order to do that, we've got to do it together. And one of the ways we've always hired is we pull from one another and that's great. And that will continue, but that's not going to help us diversify because we're just shuffling the same deck of cards. So what we need to do is we need to get to the colleges. We need to get to the high schools and really help students see financial services is a career opportunity. Um, if you'd have asked me back in high school, if I would end up in careers in financial services, I would have laughed out loud. I couldn't even balance my checkbook. Um, but here I am at a broker dealer and, uh, I, you know, and I'm loving it. So uh, it's really expanding where we pull from. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting when you talk about kind of uh, taking the approach of going into high schools, because I think I pretty much solidified that I would never go into anything in math, probably even before grade nine. Right. Like, like I just, and nobody pushed me and nobody said, you know, oh, yep. you should you should keep at it. I was just like, nope, this isn't for me. And that was it. And mm -hmm. the other thing I really like is, you know, in your holistic approach, how you talked about at the very beginning, um, the uh, the idea that any you can hire that diverse talent, but if you don't have the support systems from within, you're right, they're going to bounce back out. So how you've really approached mm -hmm. it from an inwards perspective of talking with your people and, and providing support and programming or, and all the other things you're doing, I think is just such a, a great way of, of looking at it. Um, and now I, I'd like to kind of veer the conversation for a second. Um, so, you know, asset management, wealth management, sorry, um, is has predominantly been a male a male field, um, probably for some of the reasons you chatted about today. Um, I was wondering if being a, a woman has affected kind of your approach to your career at all in this kind of predominantly male industry. And kind of as you were coming up, was it uh, mentorship or others who kind of helped you navigate that career? Uh, kind of like how you were talking about others kind of noticing how great of a job you were doing before you noticed. Uh, we just love your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I was in law firms, which very male dominated when it came to the shareholders and the management. And so both fields that I've had the, the experience and the career in have been male dominated. And I, I had this, I think now that it was a funny experience, but it's really influenced kind of how I've approached being in male dominated industries over the years. And 
when I told the lead shareholder at the law firm that I was going to work at, um, that I was going to go work for a broker dealer, he looked at me and he's like, they're going to eat you alive. And I thought, oh my gosh, like I'm going to get eaten alive here. So I, by the time I had joined RBC, I had created a pretty polished veneer. You know, I've always got my stuff together. I, you know, I'm not going to let them see any chinks in my armor. I'm going to do everything as perfectly as possible. So when I had heard this prediction that I was going to be, you know, eaten alive, I was determined that I was going to create this absolutely perfect veneer. And I knew like there isn't perfection. That's not attainable, but I was sure going to make it seem like I had everything together. And I, I looked at the senior women in the organization at RBC and I put them on this pedestal because I thought, my gosh, like, look at them. They've got it so together. They're, you know, heads of these huge businesses and this male dominated industry. And, and, you know, they have all of this that I don't have and they're not, you know, these messy people like I am. And it was actually an interaction with a colleague uh, a handful of years ago that knocked some sense into me. And it, it's since that interaction that I've really been trying to show up as my super messy flawed self. And I have found that being my messy, vulnerable, inhuman self has actually made me better at what I do. And it's helped me connect with people. And it's really helped catapult me forward in my career which is the exact opposite of what I thought. And, you know, I shared earlier that I've been fortunate to have individuals that have tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, we think you could do this. So I've been blessed with mentors and people who had more faith in me than I did. Um, But I wouldn't be starting this exciting role if I hadn't gotten real and gotten vulnerable and I didn't work at a company where being human was really at the core of what we do and about what we're really truly about because showing up human has what has really helped me um, become more successful and truly be better at what I do. I I think that's, that's such a great approach. And I think as people coming up, you know, under you or or behind you, the next generation to see someone that they can relate to or, or see as, as, uh, you know, as a person, as an individual, um, is, is so inspiring to them. And, um, so I think that's great and, and kind of leads in nicely to my next question, which is if you could go back to when you first started your career and have a conversation with yourself, what type of advice would you give? Oh my gosh. I have so much. (laughs) I mean, hindsight is 2020, right? Um, I would probably tell myself, speak up and find your voice. I, in one of my very first jobs, I was sexually harassed. Um, and I was an employment attorney. Every day my manager would make inappropriate comments and even touch me. I didn't say anything. And instead of reporting it, I left the organization. And if I could go back and talk to my younger self, I I would tell myself, you better report this. Even if it's not going to make your situation better, it's going to make that company better. And it's going to make it better for other women that might be in that situation. 
And I think that that has been a big fuel for me in my passion around the employee experience, you know, starting off in one of my first jobs, having such an awful experience and realizing that that could happen just about anywhere. So how do I help make the experience for each employee the best it can be? And, you know, I, I try to continue to have that in the back of my mind as a, as a learning, because even when I joined RBC, I didn't speak up in meetings. I didn't push back like I do now. I was afraid that what I had to say wasn't as important as what somebody else had to say, or it wasn't smart enough or bright enough. So I waited and then somebody said it and got the credit. And so I would tell my younger self, speak up and, you know, find your voice. And even if it means disagreeing, I have the best relationships with colleagues with whom I have disagreements Mm -hmm. and differences of opinion, but being able to navigate those and come out on uh, on the other side of it with respect and understanding makes us so much better as people, but more importantly, makes us so much better as a company. That's awesome advice. And I think that's uh, (laughs) something that a lot of women can learn from. Um, it's, you mm-hmm. know, finding your voice and speaking up and not being afraid to say stuff, say things in, in meetings and understand your own worth. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of brings us to the end of the formal podcast questions. And now we go into what's called the fast three. And it's just to give our listeners some uh, inspiration, something they might want to read or listen to. So I'm just going to ask you three questions and would love to hear your thoughts on it. And the first, <laughs> awesome. Um, the first is what is your favorite podcast or source of information? Okay, so my long-standing favorite is Dare to Lead with Brene Brown, or really anything by Brene Brown. I will listen to. Um, it, she could read the phone book, and I would listen <laughs> to her. And my newest favorite is It Was Said um, with John Meacham. Um, that's my newest obsession is listening to his podcast. I love history and just listening to clips from the time um, is just fascinating to me. Huh. And what are you currently reading? I am currently reading a book called This Is How It Always Is. It's by Lori Frankel. Um, and it's a fictional story. I tend to read nonfiction. So this one is a fictional story about a family who has a transgender child. And it is so beautifully written. And it's also so painful to read, um, to, to just kind of delve into what this family is experiencing and what this child is experiencing. So it is a really enjoyable book, um, but it's also a hard book. And who is currently inspiring you? Oh, you know, I have to say, I am an Olympic geek. I love watching the Olympics. Um, so it's the Paralympians. I, I just, I can't even pick one of the athletes. I, every day, my favorite part of the Olympics are the stories when they talk about the, the athletes' backgrounds. And every day, I think I'm in tears because of how inspiring 
their stories are. And uh, it, I was listening to one uh, yesterday and this swimmer, um, she was a able-bodied swimmer and had a rare genetic disorder that resulted in the loss of her leg when she was a, I think she was 16 and she lost her leg, got back in the pool and learned how to swim, got ready for uh, the Paralympics and then lost her other leg um, to the same genetic disorder. And she will get to compete in these Paralympics. And I, I don't know how that isn't just an incredible story of resilience and uh, just the fortitude. It was incredible. So they inspire me. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Um, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> um, well, Shireen, I just want to, I want to thank you for taking time. I know how busy you are and it's just so, I appreciate it so much for you to take the time to come on our podcast today. I know that our listeners are just going to get so much out of this. So thank you. Bonnie, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed chatting and I, I know I can get long-winded. I'm just really passionate about um, people and their experiences. So thank you for, for the opportunity and for your great questions. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk.